Welcome to the Sci-Fi Book Club, a podcast in which we discuss modern science fiction books and share what we love about them. My name is Jack Kirby Lowe, and today with me are Alex, Mark, and Matt. Hi, my name is Alex Mullane. I am a bit of a sci-fi obsessive, have previously written about film and TV, and spend most of my spare time reading either sci-fi, fantasy, or horror novels. Hi, I'm uh, Mark. I'm non-binary. My pronouns are they, then. Um, I've read and watched a lot of science fiction. Uh, I'm also a writer, primarily screenwriter, uh, and I've written a couple of sci-fi things that, that haven't been made, so you won't have heard of me. My name is Matt Barnett. Um, I've grown up on a diet of science fiction and horror books and films and TV shows and comics, and I make comic books with Jack Kirby, uh, some of which are, most of which is quite sci-fi adjacent. Oh, convenient you mentioned that, Matt. Uh, yeah, I uh, also uh, have been a big fan of science fiction since, uh, yeah, since childhood. And and yeah, uh, as, uh, I like it so much that I decided to make some with Matt as well. Um, so yeah, in our spare time, we make comic books, uh, predominantly aimed at a younger audience, but um, yeah, very much as an intro to science fiction. I just remembered I also I also have written a, a science fiction comic. I wrote a three-page uh, time travel comic that was published a few years ago. So it was a, a Greyhaven anthology. I remember it well. If you want to look out for it, but I, you know, that's that's some um, relevant information. Yeah, sorry, I've I didn't get the memo here. I will try and endeavour to write a comic before we next meet because I've never <laughs> written one, and I'm I'm feeling inadequate. Well, if those guys could do it, I'm sure you could fart one out in your sleep. Okay, so the book we're going to be talking about today is the Free Body Problem by Lu Shusin. Uh, it was first published in a serialised form in 2006 in China, uh, subsequently published as a book in 2008, and then translated into English by the Chinese-American author Ken Liu uh, and released in the US in 2014. First published here in the UK in 2015 by the publisher Head of Zeus. It's the first book in the Remembrance of Earth's Past trilogy. And whilst we'll be touching on related works at the end of this podcast, our focus today is going to be on the first novel. We'll be covering the basic plot before going into spoiler territory later on. We will provide a spoiler warning, so don't you worry about that. Uh, and we'll be discussing some of the themes and ideas that stood out to us. But first, Matt's going to give us a bit of a background about the author. Uh, so, Lu Xusin is one of the most prolific and popular science fiction writers in the People's Republic of China. He was born in Beijing in 1963. Um, and during the violence of the Cultural Revolution, he was raised in Yanquan, Shaanxi, where his parents had been sent to work in the mines in a, in a work camp. Um, Lu graduated from university in 1988, and he published his debut cyberpunk novel, China 2185, in 1989. Uh, so uh, if that... It, you know, we feel quite inadequate reading that. Um, he continued to work as a computer engineer um, at a power plant whilst writing a series of well-received short stories until his rise to prominence in the early 2000s. Lu is an eight-time winner of the Chinese Galaxy Award and a winner of the Chinese Nebula, Nebula Award. And his most famous work, which we're covering today, is The Three-Body Problem. It was published in 2007 
but it was the 2014 English translation of this book that won the 2015 Hugo Award for Best Novel, which resulted in Lou becoming the first author from Asia to win the coveted award. His star sign is Cancer, and his nickname is Big Lou. Thank you very much, Matt. That was beautiful. Um, okay, well, to introduce the uh, the basic plot, just to give us uh, something to go on for our initial conversations then. Um, so the book opens in 1967 during the Cultural Revolution, uh, and we meet Ye Wanjie, the daughter of an astrophysicist who's been denounced and killed by the Red Army. Uh, she's exiled to a labor brigade before finding herself positioned in a secret military radio base named Red Coast. In the present day, we meet the book's main protagonist, Wang Miao, a scientist working on nanotechnology. He's approached by Detective Shi Kuang, who also goes by Da Shi, to help investigate the recent murders of several leading scientists. Wang is also a keen photographer, and after developing a roller film from a morning shoot, he notices a numerical countdown on his pictures, which he soon starts seeing in his actual field of vision too. This phenomenon leads him uh, in turn to discover the online game Free Body, which players must play using a haptic suit and VR goggles. The players find themselves on a planet caught in the chaotic orbit of three suns, which leads to apparently random periods of stability and environmental chaos. The aim is to accurately calculate when these periods will occur before the players and NPCs are wiped out and civilization has to start all over again. Wang will go on to discover how this game, the murder of the scientists, and Ye's experience at Red Coast are all linked. Uh, so as I say, we'll go into uh, further plot details and how that all transpires later on. But um, yeah, just in our initial thoughts and things, I'm going to go first. Um, so I really like this book. Um, I think it's sort of key, I hesitate to use the word selling point, but um, yeah, it, it, I think it's just really uh, jam-packed with lots of exciting ideas. I think um, I think Lou's sort of... Uh, I think, as Matt just described, his background in in in, in science really informs the book. Uh, it's quite hard sci-fi, I would say. Um, you know, it, it's not sort of a space opera type thing. Um, it, it's relatively grounded in, in a lot of its ideas. Um, but yeah, those ideas, I feel, are quite, uh, are very engaging, particularly as we go on to the latter half of the book, which we'll discuss later i think what really grabbed me i, I sort of have a, a when i'm reading fiction i i always try to give a novel at least the first 100 pages to grab my attention and if i uh, life's too short to to slog through books that are uh are too long and not very interesting so yeah those first 100 pages and it was that um countdown that uh that the the main character starts seeing in front of his eyes and on his camera film that really grabbed me. I found that really eerie. Um, and I, again, I came to this novel with an understanding that it was quite hard sci-fi and I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to explain that. And when they eventually do, I was I was pretty satisfied with that. But yeah, that was definitely the hook that got me in as well as the sort of the compelling ideas that, that Lou presents. Guys, uh, what are your thoughts and feelings? So I really like this book. Um, I felt very comfortable with the tone and the plotting because it felt like uh, very classic sci-fi, very classic hard sci-fi in the mould of Asimov or Clark, um, which is very comfortable for me because those are, those, are, those are writers that I'm very familiar with and he writes in a very similar way and when he's dealing with 
um, first contact and alien invasion. It, it felt very much in the same way that particularly somebody like Arthur C. Clarke would have approached it. Um, however, it is in for, for me as a as a Western reader, um, it was the initial um, the initial chapter that set during the Cultural Revolution that really grabbed me because it's a period of history that I'm quite unfamiliar with. It's really beautifully written and it immediately placed the story in uh, a set and setting that I I hadn't read a million times before. I was quite unfamiliar with and I was very intrigued about how he would weave in the themes, the, the, the latest science fiction themes of the book and how it would inform that. And I'm pleased to say it does that incredibly well as it slowly proceeds from um, historical fiction to murder mystery to first contact to alien invasion with just a little pinch of cosmic horror. Uh, it really hit a lot of my sweet spots, but I think as a, as a cohesive whole, it works incredibly well as a book. There are some areas where I felt it was slightly lacking. I presume we'll talk about them later, but definitely two and a half out of three sons. Very nice. I like that. I would not be giving it anywhere near three sons. Um, I had been looking forward to it for ages. It was a book that had caught my eye in bookshops uh, for several years with its kind of heavy metal themed cover uh, to my eye. And when I eventually read it, um, I was a bit disappointed. Um, I agree that the parts that cover the Cultural Revolution of China were fascinating. That is not a part of history that uh, was taught in my school or probably in any school over here. So it was um, genuinely really, really fascinating to learn more about that. I just didn't find the writing that engaging. I felt it was quite flat. Um, the characters didn't really come alive to me. At times I felt like I was almost sort of reading a textbook or a manual as we were describing these hard sci-fi ideas. But the reason I didn't put the book down is because those ideas are absolutely fascinating. It has some concepts that it throws out that are just mind-boggling. Um, really, really interesting stuff. It, it definitely has a sense of fascination, but no, not not a sense of wonder for me. The execution wasn't quite there, although I loved all the ideas. Um, I uh, personally, I, I um, really liked it, um, although I found it quite dense in places, um, but that wasn't necessarily a huge barrier to my enjoyment of it, um, because I, I think it handles especially the exposition um, elements of its plot, and there's a lot that it needs to exposit um, very well and much more elegantly than um, some other uh, heavy science fiction that I've read. But yeah, I, I, I kind of was on the same page as Matt in being really drawn in by that first section dealing with the Cultural Revolution, which again is a period uh, of history that I didn't know too much about. And it felt like it was placing the story in a very specific cultural um, context um, that I think is really key and actually setting up the history um, in a way that a lot of science fiction doesn't actually, uh, and, and how that will inform um, how events go forward, which I thought was kind of, if not unique, uh, not not that um, present in a lot of 
web science fiction storytelling. Uh, as for the main main uh, body of the story, um, I was really drawn in. Uh, I I liked the kind of cosmic horror <laughs> aspects of it, uh, the creeping dread. Um, as, as a genre, uh, that's it's very appealing to me, and the, the the idea of these kind of unknowable threats from beyond the stars, um, I think we're captured really well. Um, I didn't, uh, when you were just doing that recap, I thought it interesting that I didn't really remember any of the names of the characters or their specific roles because it feels more a novel of ideas than it does of people and characters, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think they are more vessels to explore these ideas um, than anything else. So it wasn't a particularly emotional read for me, um, but I was absolutely gripped and fascinated from beginning to end. Um, and I should probably say, disclaimer, I, I, I um, listened to the audiobook version uh, on, I don't want to say the name of it because I don't want to promote the company, but on, on a popular uh, audiobook service. Um, and that was particularly well done uh and and i think helped to keep me engaged oh that's interesting yeah i should have uh, i should have asked if uh, if, if we read that in, in text form or or audiobook that's that's it's interesting to know that it's uh, it's a well done production i i, I yeah i want to follow up with uh, what alex and what you've touched on as well mark I, I definitely agree i mean um the book certainly isn't without flaws and i think it's definitely if if what grabs you the listener about a particular novel or not is um is character i yeah i i don't really think any of the characters are particularly strong they're all very thumbnail sketchy they they are perfunctory rather than um sort of human beings that you might get to know i think the only exception is the is the 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 police detective but even he is is pretty much a caricature really of the hard-boiled detective guy that doesn't play by the rules kind of thing which is an archetype that has been done a thousand times before um but yeah he, he, that character did add a little bit of levity for me i think uh sort of no nonsense approach is always very enjoyable but i did wonder if um whilst it is well written and whilst it is again um there's an awful lot of exposition as you say mark um uh and I, I do feel the book does have quite a lot of exposition dumps which is usually something that people can be quite sniffy about i have to say i don't mind an expedition ex exposition dump every now and again if the book's kind of earned it uh if it's you know it's uh played its cards right and it's sort of revealing its trick i don't mind that too much um but uh but yeah definitely um some of that can feel a little bit um uh inorganic and I just wondered if uh, if that's an issue around translation. I I I've read a couple of other books by by the author, um, and I have read another book by a, a, a native Chinese person, but but was actually written and published in England, which I'll, I'll come on to later. But um, yeah, I just wondered if some of the slightly more jarring elements, perhaps in the narrative, were, were a translation issue. I don't know if anyone had any thoughts on that. I feel like it's like hard science fiction and particularly those the, those classic writers and I mentioned them before, but it, it's kind of a common trope that it's a world populated by uh, academics and technicians and scientists and people like that does seem to be it, it felt very reminiscent of those books which were written in English um it still had it had that same rhythm it felt like it was uh it, it was very reminiscent of those books i don't 
I, I'm always very conscious of translation and how it affects the context and the way that a culture is understood or a book is understood and the the the, the uh, delicacies of the language, the subtleties of the language. I think a lot of that is missing. But there's a part of me that feels compared to, you know, reading something like uh, Murakami, where there is much more poetry in the language and reading something like hard science fiction, where there is so much exp exposition and it's very much an idea, a, 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 a story about ideas, a narrative about ideas and concepts. I feel like, and I, I may well be wrong, but just I, I feel like there's probably less lost in translation in a book like this than there would be in a book like, say, using Murakami as an example. And I think Murakami is a good one because, interestingly, he's a translator himself, and yet he doesn't translate his own books. And although he's rather, um, he, he doesn't talk a lot about the process, I, I feel like the, 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 the feeling is that once he's written something, there's a sense that it's killing his darlings like he and he, the the principle is if you're translating a book you have to translate the spirit of what it's saying rather than a verbatim translation of the book and that requires somebody who's prepared to reconstruct the story to some extent or reconstruct the narrative or understand what the writer in their native language is trying to do with language and then recontextualize it in a different way that helps a reader who doesn't speak that language to have the same effect. Um, I don't feel like this is the kind of book that would need that much because I don't feel the writing has that poetic nuance to it anyway. I feel like it's a book that you could translate fairly faithfully and not lose anything. There are two things that I liked. One in the translation that I read were the amount of Chinese words that were retained with footnotes to explain what they were. And two, um, what's interesting, because I did look up to see what the significant differences in the experience of reading the book were in translation. And the only significant difference is the book is structured differently in the Chinese edition. And I'm not sure what the purpose of that is. The Cultural Revolution's element of the story comes later it doesn't open with that yeah i think i read that too i didn't know if that was part of the serialization of it because it, it was first published sort of in magazines um as i understand it i don't know if that if that was a chance for them to to rejig things um maybe they felt that sort of starting with the relatively cold open of the of the siege in the past is a i don't know a hook for something I don't know, it feels like something that um, feels quite natural to a Western audience. I'm not sure. I did read that it was to do with the fact that opening the book with the Cultural Revolution would be seen as the book explicitly making a political statement, which I think we'd all agree it probably doesn't, or, or at least not an, a, a political statement specifically about China. And by placing it later, it didn't set its stall in the sand as being about China and about the Republic, which is interesting. I don't think there was any content changed. It was about 
how you went into the story. I wasn't aware of that, um, that it had been rejigged, but I think to my mind, to my to my Western mind, at least, it, it certainly works better the way that it is in the book, starting with the historical elements of the Cultural Revolution, not only because, as we've kind of all commented on, we, we don't know anything about it, so it's immediately a hook. It's something to get our teeth into and, and learn about. Um, but also just in terms of the plot, the character Yi, um, what, what happens to her back then and as she grows up is so integral to the decisions that she makes later on that have uh, a wider impact than I can probably say until we get to the spoiler bit. But um, I think learning learning what, what shapes her and influences her decisions early doors is, is probably pretty pretty crucial. I, I I agree, and I think we're we're definitely dancing around um, sort of further plot details. So unless anyone has anything further to add, uh, in a sort of a non-spoilery way. So I, I I thought going back to this this idea of, of all the exposition and um, characters not not being super individualized or, or standing out, I actually thought that was, and I thought that was intentional, and I thought it was actually. I think it's thematically appropriate um, because you, you start off with the ideas about cultural revolution and, and communism, which, you know, one of the central tenets of that is that is it's about society being more important than the individual. Um, and I think you see that over and over again throughout the story about people operating within governments and teams and organizations to achieve things that individuals on their own can't do. Um, both uh, in the uh, human characters and the other, I don't know if it's getting into spoiler territory to say, Trisolarans. Just to emphasise on something that you touched on earlier that really drew you into the early going was the concept of um, a, a countdown, a mysterious countdown appearing uh, in this poor man's vision so that, you know, you can't turn it off, you can't blink it away, you can't go to sleep because it's there ticking away what does it mean what what is it leading up to is it you know is it the date of my death is it the time i'm next supposed to put the bins out it's just such a brilliant uh device um I, yeah just to echo that like i mean i didn't love the book but there were moments and sort of sequences like that that really were top top draw stuff yeah and um, well just kind of off the back of that there's a lot in it that is it feels incredibly cinematic i think by the nature of the scope of it this kind of intergalactic struggle that actually does for as as for as little as it focuses on individual human struggles it creates these very impressive moments and and vistas and i actually thought it was really interesting what matt was saying that i i didn't know that about the structure of it either that the cultural revolution stuff wasn't at originally at the beginning of the story because I could I really felt like that is like the perfect opening it's almost like a um like a, a Spielbergian sci-fi moment where you're starting and uh, all these secret organizations and you find seeing these satellite dishes and like you're entering this this secret mysterious world um which I wonder if that'll be retained because it's as it's being adapted for, for Netflix not as a film but as a as a series um if they'll keep that because it seems to work on that on that level for me awesome thank you okay so 
We'll now discuss the rest of the plot and the ending. So if you haven't already read the book and what you've heard so far makes you think you'd like to, uh, please stop listening now uh, and I will insert a time code for you to come back and listen at the end. Do we get a klaxon? Can we, I've got to suggest if, if we can pull out from the audio book um, the moment when the narrator says, Try Solar Day! Um, because it's quite fantastic. <laughs> that would be a great oh my god, I had anyone delivering any of that dialogue in, like that in my head, but that's, that's wonderful. Spoiler warning alert! Spoiler warning alert! Spoiler warning alert! Spoilers conclude around 47 minutes and 20 seconds. Okay, so for the rest of the plot then. Um, so it turns out that the free body game is rigged, basically. It always ends in disaster with escape to a new planet, the only solution for the inhabitants of the planet in the game. Um, it's a recruitment tool of the Earth Trisolaris Organization, the ETO, a secret society created by Ye and the billionaire environmentalist Mike Evans. During her time at Red Coast, uh, Wingier made contact with the Trisolaris, the actual planet on which the one in the free body game is based and has revealed Earth's location, inviting the highly advanced aliens to come and take over the planet. Her experiences have led her to hate humanity, a sentiment that Mike shares. Uh, the Trisolaran fleet will arrive in 450 years, but they've sent surfons, multi-dimensional supercomputers that have been folded into 3D objects. These are already on Earth, spying on us via quantum entanglement, falsifying data from physics experiments to stymie the process and the progress of science in order to make humanity easier to conquer. The Sophons are responsible for Wang's hallucinations. The ETO are responsible for the murders, uh, they, uh, which were also designed to halt scientific progress on Earth. Um, and an international alliance, who apparently were already aware of most of this information, use Wang's nanotechnology to make a special net of microscopic wire to cut up Mike Evans's boat, which the, is the ETO's mobile base of operations as it passes through the Panama Canal. Uh, that kills everybody aboard quickly, but it allows the computers and everything to be repaired easily. The conspiracy is discovered, and the Trisolar and Send the Earthlings a final message via Sophon hallucination. Your bugs. Uh, which I really, really liked. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the rest of the plot. Um, again, uh, for me, I, mean, I, I feel like we can talk a little bit more freely now, obviously. Um, I think in the latter half of the book, it was this the concept of the Sophons that I really, really loved. So to elaborate a little bit on what I said there, um, they are, uh, it's a proton, which they have unfolded, they, they don't, I mean, um, using their advanced technology and know-how uh, into, into three dimensions. This, this unfolding of the proton is like the size of the planet. They do it in orbit. There's lots of sort of discussions of the trial and error of how they do this. And then when this proton is unfolded into 3D, they, uh, they write computer software on it, then fold it back up. It's a quantum computer. It travels at the speed of light. They send it to Earth because their fleet will take so long to get there. Um, it, 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 I mean, it, it's essentially magic, but they explain it in a way that I can vaguely believe uh, is something like possible in, in, in a scientific manner. I really, really love that concept. And um, yeah, I, I referred earlier to an exposition dump and sort of hearing about the Trisolarans and the, the, the contact when that's made with... Um, with yay i really like that um 
so yeah, guys, any thoughts on the on the latter half and the ending of the book? I'm right there with you on the Sofons. Um, thought they were a brilliant. Just the, just the entire sort of conceit of making contact with an alien civilization who thinks, oh, I'll have a bit of that planet, and then them doing everything in their power, unfolding the you know pure matter of being to hamstring our entire understanding of science so that we will be defenseless or at least behind and not able to uh, counter them when they eventually arrive. I love that. And the Sofons, like you say, that was a big exposition dump, um, like almost like reading a Wikipedia page for something that, you know, doesn't actually exist. But it is worth it in this instance, because when they kind of arrive and you realize what they're what they're doing, what they're up to. Um, yeah, it was a really good, a really good hook to uh, get you to read the next one, really. Um, so I want to know how how humanity will overcome the Sofons uh, hamstringing of us, or indeed if they will. Uh, yeah, I um, I I agree. It's 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 all incredibly exciting, and it um, it's it's impressive how Lou creates this kind of massive scale that you know it's going to be. Am I right in thinking it's going to be something like two hundred and fifty years before? <laughs> The Tresolarans will actually reach Earth. So what they're setting up is as a long game uh, war or preparation for war. This conflict that's going to be many generations down the line. Um, that is sort of almost unfathomable, but is yeah really exciting. Um, in terms of the Sofons, conceptually, I think they're really fascinating and interesting. I actually had a hard time actually like picturing them or conceiving <laughs> of them. It was a kind of a struggle because it felt it did feel like this sort of nebulous um magic box. Um I, I didn't really I don't know if anyone else struggled with that. I, I felt personally I, I actually I found it easier to understand maybe visualize is the wrong word, but um certainly conceptualize. What, what they were going for. And I often, I'm not, I can't often say that about me in fiction, um, sort of lengthy descriptions of things. I, I don't always, particularly like action sequences and stuff. I, I sometimes slightly phase out, but I don't know. There was, uh, I guess the way it was explained, I mean, maybe I've got completely the wrong end of the stick of what Lou was intending, but I, like, I feel like in my head and for the purposes of understanding the narrative, um, yeah, I, 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 I felt kind of at ease with that. For me, that was where it became less hard sci-fi and more absurdist and i'm all here for that i loved it yeah i like it it was the book it already hinted at a few gonzo concepts particularly within the vr game which i don't think we've talked about enough but like that really brought the book alive particularly as the book is like outside of that is quite dry um but it really rehydrated it you know it was like the 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 Lurians, when the with the final reveal it was both satisfying because it did tie together the various disparate plot elements really well but at the same time it was yeah it was this big gonzo i don't i don't feel like i mean uh, perhaps it, it really makes conceptual scientific sense and i i i read it in a very impressionistic way but the absurdity of it was brilliant. I, I felt it kind of bridged uh, 
a, a nice little um, marriage between, um, yeah, an impressionistic kind of thing. But also, I did, as I said, I, I feel like it did root enough in, I don't know, at least theoretical science, as I understand it anyway. I mean, to pick up on your point around some of the Gonzo stuff that happens in the free body game, I mean, another thing that I really loved was the, um, the human computer that they make. So um, one of the players of the game is... Uh, trying to calculate the orbits of these uh, these three suns that the planet is is trapped within, uh, and the the game itself they're essentially sort of in a desert world as it were. It's all very desolate. There's uh, because civilization keeps getting wiped out. They have plenty of the people, and uh, Matt's little joke there about rehydrating and dehydrating was to survive these uh, chaotic periods. The Trisolarans can dehydrate themselves and roll themselves up like a like a camp bed or a roll mat or something, which again is is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, one of the players of the game, they gather thousands and thousands of um, uh, either other players or non-playable characters, uh, and they get them to stand in formation with flags, uh, and they're essentially sort of little binary gates. Um, they lift the right flag up for yes, the, uh, for one, and they lift the left flag up for zero. And they, they make a computer out of people to help calculate the orbits. And I love that. I thought that was great. That was really uh, inventive stuff. Sort of biological computer thing is 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 stuff that I've seen touched on in, in other novels that we might talk about one day. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that concept as well. This is all getting far too positive for me. Um, well, you know, I like most of the ideas in the book. Uh, there was one, like all these crazy gonzo sci-fi uh, Gubbins, absolutely fine, totally on board with. The one that got me that I just could not quite take seriously was the kind of climactic plan to the sort of wily e. Coyote plot of like stringing a wire across the Panama Canal to decapitate a boat. I, that just, I don't I mean, know why I couldn't suspend my disbelief on that. I, I really struggled. I'm actually fully on board with you on that what well, i um it's uh it's a nutty idea and it it is i mean it is kind of foreshadowed in the you know the main protagonist he is making this nanotechnology wire so it's it's not completely out of nowhere but um uh, i mean again it, it is a little while since i read the book but uh, so i may be misremembering here but i'm fairly sure it's uh it's dashi the the detective that says well it's it's obvious how we stop this boat We'll just string up this this net with this razor sharp cheese wire um, nanotechnology net and just slice the boat open. And all these heads of government are thinking, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, obviously that's what we should do. And yeah, I was a bit like, okay, yeah, I mean that's not. I, I mean, just send a SWAT team in or something. Is that not what you do? Um, yeah, I did find that a little bit um, stretching, um, stretching my willingness to just suspend my disbelief but isn't, uh, isn't it strange that we can we can conceive of alien civilizations that can dehydrate and rehydrate themselves but we can't we couldn't get on board with the uh you know the most earthbound kind of set piece it's interesting it is an interesting one i've really i mean um mark mentioned earlier about uh the adaptation which i'll, I'll touch on towards the end but yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how that's uh portrayed on a, on screen potentially it's especially laughable given recent history has shown that the best way to stop a boat getting through the Panama Canal is to getting it to turn. <laughs> so I just wanted to touch on a couple of other bits and pieces. I mean, um, that line that I mentioned towards the end, it's not quite the final line or anything, but um, the your bugs thing, I loved that. Um, that felt very Vonnegut to me. It was 
it's very offbeat, very, I mean, it's incredibly petty from the Trisolarans, and uh, I, I'm all for a petty villain. That's fine by me. I love the cosmic horror, the unknowable creeping menace of this superior alien race that's so distant and far from us. We can't understand. We don't really know what they are or what they're doing. So there was part of me, I guess, that was a little bit disappointed to find they were <laughs> just kind of these bureaucra- bureaucratic Mardi jerks. bums, uh, jerks, <laughs> space jerks. Um, so that that did that that killed a lot of the cosmic horror for me. But uh, but yeah, the but but it paid it back in full with the like the absurdity of it and the. It was it was one of the very few laughs in the book for me. Yeah, you've actually just um, you raised a really interesting point. I hadn't made this connection before, but I love Kurt Vonnegut, and um, your mention of it now is like this is this is like Kurt Vonnegut, but pessimistic, <laughs> but like with no hope um, in in like yeah the, the kind of uh, future or goodness of of humanity. Um, but going. Going back to, to this whole element, the the the, the Trisolaran um, game and the history of of the planet, um, that, that was my favourite part uh, of the novel. It's the one I it, the, the 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 sequence sequences that I remember the most uh, and and most strongly. I just think it is it's a great way of giving you the backstory uh, of this incredibly. Uh, convoluted and complicated um world and system and it made me feel really involved and like and and feel a lot of the terror um that it brings in you know when all these incredible uh, climate catastrophes um are happening um on a on a generational basis and how Come on, Mark, stick to fiction. That stood out to me really, really strongly, and to communicate the ideas and to make the Trisolarans an actual kind of credible set of characters and not just a voice from the void and outer space threatening humanity to understand what their struggle was. I think it's probably one of the main achievements of the book for me. I'm interested in what you said around uh, hope and uh, sort of being a downbeat Kurt Vonnegut, uh, which, which... I want to sort of tie into well a couple of things. Well, uh, uh, firstly, uh, I'll mention this uh, towards the end of our chat, but um, the sequel. Um, one of the themes of that is how humanity maintains its hope in the face of what seems like a, a fairly insurmountable world-ending problem to deal with. But I mean, there is there is a moment at the. I mean, um, so again, Darshi, again, the only really truly memorable character. Um, the our main protagonist and some of the other scientists that they are feeling hopeless at the end of the book they think earth is doomed and and he takes them to a field and all they can hear are locusts and he talks about how mankind has tried to eradicate pests with pesticides and all sorts of means but the the bugs uh they may just be bugs they may not be any more advanced uh, any near as advanced as humans but they they persist so he says that that's reason to hope and and maintaining that hope over generations is one of the themes of the of the sequel which i'll touch on later um but uh, again what you were saying so the pessimistic sort of side of it that's really what informs the character of um and why she essentially betrays humanity if you want to put it in 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 those terms obviously her experiences um you know in the cultural revolution essentially um and again it, it's themes that are touched on in the sequel um she the contact she makes with trisolaris 
is with a sympathetic Trisolaren. Um, the first thing he says is, shut up, don't talk to us, or we'll know where you are, and we'll come and get you. Uh, and she's like, nah, come and get us, we suck. Um, <laughs> we need wiping out, essentially. And I, I, I like that. I mean, part of her motivation is that humanity needs a moral shake-up, um, maybe unification against a common foe, or you could just read it that she just doesn't like humanity and thinks we should be wiped out. And I uh, I was interested in that, the sort of the anti-humanity position of the ETO. I thought that was, I mean, I don't know. And again, not wanting to step too far into the real world as, 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 as you know, Mark was touching on. Um, but yeah, it, it does feel a lot like, uh, particularly environmentally, like, I don't know, it feels like we've wasted this planet in some ways and we are all doomed. And it's like, yeah, sod it. Maybe, maybe we should just be uh, wiped out by a by a stronger power or whatever. I'm not saying I'm joining the ETO or anything, but I keep Jack like... away from the listening stations. <laughs> just saying. Um, but yeah, I, 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 whilst they are slightly cartoonish in the the conspiracy, and come, um, we welcome our uh, I for one welcome our alien overlords. Um, you know. Slightly cartoonish, but I, I could sort of see where they're coming from, and I think they did enough with the cultural setting, the historical setting, rather, to to make you see where they were coming from. Interesting to hear the reminder that Darshi took uh, hope from locusts. Obviously, hadn't been to see the latest Jurassic Park film. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, neither have I. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard it's fairly hopeless in general. Yeah, that's probably fair to say. There's there's more locusts than you would imagine. That's what you want from a Jurassic Park film. Oh, I've seen. Are we talking about Jurassic Park now? No, let's, let's stay on topic. <laughs> right. It's uh, yeah. Jurassic Park was um, it's it, it, that that new film. It didn't need to be. Just because we can doesn't mean we should, right? That's the message of those films, is it not? Yeah, that they've beca- they've embodied that message. They've embraced that. Uh, did you have anything further to say about the book? There's a lot of relevant themes within it. Um. That extremist environmental message, I can't remember what he's called. There's an American environmentalist, isn't there? Mike Evans. Yeah, Mike Evans. Um, (laughs) I mean, all the characters are are, are ciphers. They all sound the same except for Dashi. They all talk the same, including the the aliens, to be fair. They they all talk with the same rhythm and the same. It's one of that is one of my issues with the with the book but there is something interesting there around the antagonists are i'm gonna say like they're no more sympathetic than the protagonists in some ways like they have a point of view which is under all of them have a point of view which is kind of understandable if you look at where they're supposedly coming from um which i thought was interesting um i didn't i i did wonder a few times reading the book where um big lou was coming from i mean that's that's kind of the point of the game isn't it like the the idea of the game is basically to to convince the humans that play it that you know these guys don't really have an option but to invade and take over sorry our planet is is bad um so yeah it's not personal but um the moment we find a nicer one we're we're coming to take it sounds very much like the position that we ourselves would take given the opportunity okay so 
Um, as I said at the beginning, um, it's uh, uh, the three-body problem is the first of a trilogy. Um, there's also at least one sort of spin-off as well, but not written by uh, by Lou. Um, so I've only read the the first sequel, which is called The Dark Forest. And the reason I read the three-body problem is because I actually read about the synopsis of The Dark Forest and thought that sounded really cool, but felt I couldn't read the second book of a trilogy without reading the first, uh, which I think was the correct decision. So the sequel is, it's about um, what they call the wall faces. So these are individuals that um, have been tasked with coming up with a plan to save humanity from the impending Trisolaran fleet, which will arrive in 400 years. Um, and they're, obviously they know they're being spied on by the Sophons at this point. So um, yeah, the, these individuals are given absolutely free reign to do whatever they want in complete secrecy without having to explain anything that they do. Um, so they can't be spied on, basically. Uh, and again, it's really interesting. It's only got one character, well, mostly only one character from the, the first novel, which is which is Dashi, uh, I guess because he's the only memorable one. Um, and yeah, it's quite interesting. It really explores the the sort of the Fermi paradox, um, uh, the thing around, you know, if the universe is as big as it is, then surely it must be filled with life. But then how come we haven't heard anything from it? And it's all about sort of, I mean, as we find out in the free body problem, the moment one civilization becomes aware of another one, the most logical thing for them to do is to try and wipe them out in terms of their own survival. And it, it really drills down into that. And that that was the hook for that one. Uh, and I really, really liked it. So um, I definitely recommend, uh, I probably liked it more than the the uh, this the free body problem personally. So I, I definitely, it expands on the ideas that are set out. Um, so again, the, the cosmic horror uh, and yeah, that whole uh, how first contact would actually would possibly go down um, so does it um does the sequel kind of improve upon any of the you know the flaws that we've kind of highlighted um <laughs> it's still very weird and wacky and not always in ways that i i think are entirely successful um the characterization is better i would say the lead character is uh, uh i really like the lead character actually he's a, a lazy bum basically, who's been a bit of a random choice, uh, who completely abuses his power. Uh, he sets himself up with a lovely house by the lake and says, yeah, this is all part of my plan. Um, and, it, and it absolutely isn't. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, but there, there's an extended, <laughs> there's an extended section where he talks about um, uh, a woman of his dreams, literally of his dreams that he's sort of written about. It's a bit, little bit Ruby Sparks, if you've seen that film. Uh, and then he, he tasks the world's uh, the, the UN I think is the, the the funder of all this with finding this woman that he's dreamed of and it's all a little bit weird and and, and and wacky and yeah some of the I'm not sure some of the ideas are sort of translate culturally perhaps um, but yes I think it's an improvement with some of the same flaws um, but yeah I would recommend it I do think it's a better book than The Free Body Problem uh, and it, it it spans a larger period of time so it, it does rocket forward to the 400 year uh, period where the trisolans arrive um which is really interesting um there is a third book in the in the series which i haven't read um and i, I did read the the plot synopsis which if i were to reveal that would sort of spoil the dark forest uh, but it's set in the far future and it looks at humanity taking its place among the stars um another book that 
again, so we've all touched on like the fact that none of us learned about the Cultural Revolution at school. Um, what I had read beforehand is Wild Swans, which isn't a novel. It's a it's a um, it's a biography, an autobiography all in one. It's written by a, a woman called Young Chang, who uh, was born in China, uh, and it talks about her grandmother, her mother, and herself, and it sort of spans more or less a hundred years of of Chinese history, uh, including the Cultural Revolution, including denunciations and uh, sort of shaming sessions. Uh, her father was killed by revolutionaries. She was sent out into the countryside to work, as a great many people were, as 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 we learned with uh, with Matt's uh, biography of Liu as well. And and yeah, that really provided me with uh, a bit of historical background that I just otherwise would not have had for the um, for the Cultural Revolution. Um, it's also a really great book in its own right. Much more happens in the first 30 pages to the the first uh, to her grandmother uh, than does happen in, in most traditional novels. So I'd really recommend Wild Swans. It's absolutely fascinating, particularly if you want to know more about Chinese history in the 20th century. Uh, and the other book I just wanted to mention was also about the only other book I've written, uh, I've written, I've read by Liu, which was The Supernova Era. Again, I was really compelled by the concepts and the ideas uh, but again, some of it was just a little bit too weird and wacky. Um, and again, just uh, some very strange stuff in it, which I'm not sure was a, a problem of translation. But um, the setup for that one is there's a, there is a supernova and the cosmic rays from space hit Earth. And scientists work out that within a year, everyone over the age of 14 will die. Um, and they have to prepare all the four, well, 13 year olds for um, taking of the world, and then we explore uh, a world run by children, which was was interesting. Again, lots of great ideas. I'm not sure I fully was involved with the writing and conveyance of those ideas, but interesting stuff in there. Again, there's stuff around um, virtual reality and sort of computer programs and things like that. I'm really interested to go back after this conversation and read Lou's first novel, which was China 2185. There was a subsequent 10-year gap before he wrote another novel. And that book is apparently uh, very much a, a cyberpunk book. And it was in the late 80s, early 90s. So it was coming off the back of cyberpunk being a very popular genre. And I'm interested to see how that's approached. Because there's elements of uh, in, within three-body problem that I wonder... We've talked about like the like the very dry approach to hard sci-fi and the lack of individual characterization, and I wonder how much almost a pastiche of some of those classic sci-fi writers it is. Almost whether that's very deliberate or whether it is his style consistently through all his work. I'd be quite interested to see, you know, if his initial novel is. Uh, a lot looser and whether it's playing with some different tropes within the genre, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I'm curious to see how much of that is uh, is a deliberate artifice. Just coming off uh, Matt's point about, um, yeah, individual characters. Uh, I, to me, it feels like um, an intentional choice uh, and it feels like what um, the film critic David Ehrlich uh, called uh, like post-human uh, cinema when he was writing about um, Godzilla 
the um, uh, the, the the Gareth Edwards uh, film because that that film isn't really concerned with with the inner lives of its human characters. Nominally, nominally, there's a story about Aaron Taylor Johnson saving his family, but uh, you can tell the film is really not really bothered about it, and everything is kind of pales in significance to the actual creatures. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. It's not necessarily, to me, a failing uh, of a story. It's just a shifting of perspective. And I think three-body problems sits in that uh, kind of tradition uh, with me. Although I, I think, am I right in saying the, the original um, publication of the book probably predates that film. Um, the only other uh, connection uh, I wanted to bring up was um, not in terms of, 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 of subject or uh, theme, but um, Neil Stevenson's novel Snow Crash, which is trying to do some similar things in terms of backstory and exposition where it has the main character, um, the infamous hero protagonist, going into archives and trying to delve into Sumerian history and um, Mesopotamian languages. And um, there are just pages and pages and pages of the main character reading through uh, books. And I generally like that that novel and uh, I've previously spoken to Jack about it. Um, but I think those, those scenes especially are a, a, <laughs> a fundamental failing of, of drama because you're just watching somebody sitting at a library desk reading um, and I, I think Three Body Problem achieves something uh, a bit more engaging and exciting <laughs> with its uh, Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, um, I, I like Snow Crash a lot. I love what it has to say about uh, language and belief and things. But yeah, the thing with, with Neil Stevenson, he's, he does his research, but he also wants to make sure that you know that he's done his research uh, and that is all on the page. Um, which is this. Sometimes that's a no bad thing. Sometimes that is a little bit uh, uh, perhaps slightly unnecessary. Um, I did just want to quickly mention uh, this book in adaptation. So um, there was a Chinese production, a film production of, of the book, as you might expect. It, it, it's, it's kind of a big deal um, in the English speaking world. It's, it's a massive, massive um, novel and series of novels in, in China. Um, um, but yeah, the, the, the film was shot in China. A Chinese production, but um, as far as I can tell, never went into post-production and hasn't been released. Um, I, is that in development hell or post-development hell? I'm not really sure, but as we've touched on, um, Netflix have also picked it up and uh, apparently due to conclude shooting it this very month, uh, August 2022, as we record, um, it's written and produced by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss from Game of Thrones. Um, so yeah, that might be a big turn off for some people, big turn off for others. For the record, I didn't mind the last series of Game of Thrones, so um, there you go. Um, it also stars uh, Benedict Wong, uh, Jonathan Price, and from Game of Thrones, John Bradley and Liam Cunningham. Uh, John Bradley was uh, Jon Snow's mate in The Night's Watch, and Liam Cunningham was uh, your man, you know, the guy. Davos. Davos, that's who I'm looking for, yeah. Um, the Geordie Pirate. That's him. <laughs> Jonathan Price was uh, also in Game of Thrones. He was the the High Sparrow. You're you're right. 
you're right, they've just recycled all the old actors. Um, so, so yeah, uh, amongst the uh, many other actors that I, I wasn't familiar with. Um, okay, so in closing then, um, we'll just, uh, if, uh, folks, if you just want to go around, you can drop your Twitter handle. And if you want to let uh, the, the listeners know either what you're reading right now or uh, just, you know, what's piqued your interest culturally uh, as we speak, um, then that would be great. Um, Matt, do you want to go first? My Twitter handle is at Matt Barnett, M-A-T-B-A-R-N-E-T-T. Say hello. Love to hear from you. Um, at the moment, I have been enjoying uh, the Amazon adaptation of Paper Girls of Brian K. Vaughan's um, fantastic uh, sci-fi, twisty, turny, time travel adventure. Um, I am a little bit concerned that Stranger Things has stolen the march on it. But um, I think, although stick with it, because although it's a low budget, it's a uh, it's it's a brilliant um, like uh, mind twisting concept. It's a lot of fun. They've nailed the characters. Um, just overlook the low budget and enjoy the ride. And if it makes it to a second season, hopefully they'll uh, they'll put a bit more money into it, and it'll be a much more polished, much more polished series. In terms of books, it's kind of fitting when we talked about translation. I'm reading W.G. Siebold's Rings of Saturn, which is a German author's thoughts and mind, mind journeys as he wanders the south coast of England. And I've been told by a number of German speakers that the, the book loses um, a huge amount of its effect in the English translation because so much of that book is about language. But it's a really beautiful piece of of poetry in itself. Uh, if anyone wants to chat, my uh, Twitter handle is at Mullane45, M-U-L-L-A-N-E. Uh, I mean, at the start of this, I, I said that I exclusively read sci-fi, fantasy and horror, but I'm currently reading uh, Stephen King crime trilogy, which despite being Stephen King is absolutely <laughs> just straight thriller, straight crime. So I apologize for lying to you. Um, <laughs> it's very good so far. I'm about halfway through the trilogy as uh compelling as stephen king always is even if there aren't supernatural beasties lurking in every corner uh tv wise the last thing i watched was um featuring jonathan price soon to be in the three body problem adaptation uh, i watched taboo which was a series uh starring and created by tom hardy a few years ago set in um a very grubby well-realized victorian london um, with plenty of machinations and scheming and backstabbing uh, and generally just an excuse to watch Tom Hardy hulking around looking very, very charismatic and handsome. An opportunity we should always take. My, my Twitter and Instagram handles are ArkMallon, A-R-K-M-A-L-L-E-N. Um, I got it right that time. And uh, yeah, uh, I, haven't, I didn't read this recently, but I did read this last year and I just thought it would be relevant. Um, a short story collection called Terminal Boredom by uh, the Japanese writer Izumi Suzuki, um, which is a collection of short stories that are kind of um, sort of, I wouldn't say an antidote to 
what Lou is doing in his stories, but in terms of exploring sci-fi concepts, they take a very different um, kind of worm's eye view of the future and um, these kind of disparate um, concepts and feel very um, of the time when they were written, which I believe was the late 90s. Um, and there a lot of stories that, that um, could kind of almost, if they didn't have the sci-fi on, it could almost be termed literary fiction because um, a lot of them are very interior and about their protagonists um, lying on the floor, smoking cigarettes and listening to vinyl records and thinking about their relationships and how it's been um, impacted by interplanetary politics uh, and things like that. Um, so um, if you read <laughs> Three Body Problems and want more individualization and, and characterfulness, I, I think that might be a way to go. Uh, but you do get less of the uh, politics and um, interplanetary threat. Uh, and what I'm watching at the moment is sort of all over the place, but I have been catching up on season four of um, HBO's Westworld, which um, now that I think of it has some interesting overlap with Three Body Problem because it, I don't want to say too much, but it deals with uh, singularity-like concepts and um, stories taking place over generations and big societal shifts um and i'm really enjoying it um it has a lot of its detractors and i can't say i've never criticized westworld but it's a hot mess that i'm always happy to involve myself in thank you very much um yeah you can follow me um on twitter at jack kirby that's j-a-c-k-k-i-r-b-y um the last book that I read, um, so I finished last week, uh, sometimes called Metronome uh, by the author Tom Watson. That is not to be confused with the former Labour MP. Um, I really enjoyed Metronome. Um, it's, it is sci-fi, but very sort of um, in the softest possible way. Uh, it is about a couple that are on an island. Um, they are compelled to do a thing every uh, several hours. Uh, they're not entirely well you're not entirely entirely sure why they're there at the beginning um they one of them thinks that they should leave one of them thinks that they should stay there's the possible suggestion that it's all some kind of big test uh i'm a massive fan of the television program lost uh uh and yeah there's as, as i've described there there are several elements that that shares including as well um as a potential trigger warning as that there it is quite a distressing novel and there's a lot of stuff around um uh child loss and childbirth um uh that were yeah uh essential part of the story um but yeah maybe if that's not something you're interested in reading in then i would avoid that one um but otherwise a really really strong novel um in terms of watching i'm, I'm very bad at watching and committing to television programs um I watched a film uh, recently, though. It, I'm sure no one has heard of it, and it probably does need a recommendation, but it was called uh, The Predator. Uh, it was quite good. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd watch that one. I hadn't seen that one before, actually, much to my shame. But, um, yeah, little 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 known gem for you there. The Predator oh. or Predator? Oh, crap. Um, whatever the first one is, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Pre predators or Predator? So I it's watched... just the first one is just called Predator. 
Yeah. Yeah. The there was a subsequent one called The Predator. Shane Black film. Wait, was the Shane I... Black The Predator? What was the what was the um the John McTiernan's Predator? No, not the John McTiernan one. The 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 fellow who did um Robert He's Rodriguez one. Robert Rodriguez was Predators. Oh, it was just Predators. Yeah, I, okay. I have actually seen Predators uh, when that came out in 2010. Uh, I, when I was doing film reviews for a website, I, I saw a presser of that. Alex, you may have been there as well. Uh, I cannot remember a single thing about it, other than Lawrence Fishburne was in it and was quite charismatic. But you could say that about any film that Lawrence Fishburne the, was in. The, the only thing I remember about that is uh, Lawrence Fishburne looked remarkably well fed for somebody who'd been living on a distant planet scavenging for <laughs> seven years or something i can't remember you've remembered more of the plot than i have there i'd also just like to drop a quick plug for mine and matt's comic books if you'd like to know more about our all ages sci-fi sports adventures please check out alien in the outfield.com um okay well thank you very much for listening to sci-fi book club um, you can email us at sci-fi book club podcast at gmail.com to share any thoughts that you had about this episode's book, recommendations for future episodes, or just anything else that you want to tell us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at SFBookClubPod. We would love to hear from you. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.